So if you look in your pews, you will see some Bibles sparsely placed. Somebody donated all those, and we'll get some more because we're going to fill them in the pews. But they're the ESV version, which is one of my favorite versions of the Bible. So that means it can be one of your favorite versions as well. Just kidding. That was a joke. Um, if you're a kid, raise your hand. And then put your thumb up and look at your parents or an adult around you. Look at someone else, not me, because I've already done this to myself, and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Did you get it? Look around the room and do it to the adults. Rosie, behind you, these, you got three behind you. It's going to be okay. Because I think... We're all little kids in big grown-up bodies. That's, what I, that's my theory tonight. That we're all little kids in big grown-up bodies. We're going to be in James chapter 2. And I'm going to read out of James chapter 2. And if, if you don't know where that is, just do what I used to do and flip through your Bible until you find it. But if it's in one of these Bibles, it's on page 1011. Um, or if it's on your phone, it's easy to find. And if you also just want to listen and not open to James chapter 2, that is fine. But I think it starts like this. Not James chapter 2, but our lives. We're born into families, and some of those experiences are good, and some of those memories are bad. Some of them is mom slamming dishes around the kitchen, and some of them are parents cuddling us and cradling us, and we, we go to school with all the confidence in the world, or we hit kindergarten the first time with fear, wondering if we'll fit in. And very early on, we learn something unique about school, and that it is about survival. Survival of the fittest takes place very quickly in kindergarten. You learn who's the cool kid, who's not the cool kid, and in order for your own survival, you gravitate toward the people who will keep you the safest and make you feel the best about yourselves. And sometimes when you gravitate towards those people, they accept you and they receive you. And sometimes when you gravitate towards those people, they reject you and they push you away and they stomp on you. And depending on your experience, some of you are bloodied and bleeding out by the time you enter into first grade. And some of you stand on top of that mountain, maybe not bloodied, but with a great fear that you can be knocked off that mountain and bloodied just as easily. And we find ourselves in these games of survival. Goes all the way through middle school, all the way through high school. You find yourself, yourself in tears after sporting events. After recess, you act tough when somebody says something like it doesn't bother you, but really it stings like you've had a dagger in your back and it carries on through after high school into your job or your career. It carries it to some people through college. It, 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 it carries until you, you say, where is a place that I can find that peace that's promising community, that's promising grace, that's promising to receive me? And so some of us stumble our way into church that says, everyone's welcome. 
if you think like me, and we find ourselves finding the groups in there that feel the coolest, and we find ourselves having the conversation with the people who will lift us up the most, and we still find ourselves avoiding the people who would drain us, because really it's all become about survival. It's all become about how am I going to enter through this thing and not leave bloodied and beaten. And every once in a while, we find ourselves vulnerable in a group of people. And sometimes those people hold us with grace and they lift us up. And sometimes those people use the very thing that we shared with them against us in a point of conflict to bring out how weak we are and how they're right. And we find ourselves in these dances. And no matter how good we think we are at them, we're all just little kids in grown-up bodies. And it hurts the same. And it reminds me of kindergarten when I didn't get picked to play with the cool kids. And in the middle of all that, 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered the picture. See, that little guy gets it. He's like, I had a rough day at preschool. Just kidding. 2,000 years ago, Jesus enters the picture. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. That the kingdom of God is at hand. A new way of doing things. That God is operating just below the surface. And God has a new way of accepting people. And God has a new way of people loving each other. And God has a new way of showing grace. And God has a new way of us existing together as a people. So that in how we exist together, it looks like Jesus Himself. Arms wide open. Giving Himself to the world and somehow we're supposed to embody that and Jesus teaches us how to do it and then very early on after he had risen from the dead he said to Peter you are my rock Peter and upon my rock I will build this church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it they will not overcome it it will win but it is a different way of life it's a different way of accepting people it doesn't follow the same rules it welcomes the stranger it lifts up the poor it binds up the brokenhearted. It brings sight to the blind. It does the things that everyone else is not doing because this new kingdom, it's not about survival. It's about life. And so the church began to grow. And people were being added to the number daily, sometimes by the thousands. People were joining this new movement of life and peace and grace. And when that started to happen in the world, it, 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 it was noteworthy. And everybody around wanted to know what was going on. And so even, even, even the important people around would start to show up. Do you guys remember a sermon I preached a couple weeks ago about the open house we had? And I was like, and the mayor showed up. You guys remember that? I was like, the mayor. And you guys were like, the mayor? I was like, yeah, the mayor. And he cried because what we're doing is awesome. And the mayor showed up. I was playing into that game 
of the important people of the world, the noble people of the world had showed up and they get special attention. What I didn't say was, and Rachel was there and Rachel got a house and Rachel and Rachel got to see her new bedroom and Rachel got to see a new kitchen. No, Rod Tucker up here needing to be important, needing to be special so that you all could think I was cool was like, and I talked to the mayor at the open house. And so very early on, as the church is forming, we see this little letter get written to him by a guy named James. And James has something to say. And James chapter 2 is famous for a little verse. Does anybody know what that, the famous little verse is in James chapter 2? Just Bible, if this was Bible quiz. It's faith without works is dead. That's the thing. And all of the chapter of James chapter 2 that we're supposed to read, we skip it all, we zoom into the middle, and we read, faith without works is dead. And so I get to stand up here as a preacher and I get to say, you say you have faith. Then you come here and sing the songs and lift your hands and you shed your tears in worship, and you think that's faith, and you go home, and you can't even get your thought life together, you scumbag. And that's the message that we preach. And everyone leaves, and they're like, man, that was a hard word. Our preacher really tells it how it is, though. Let's keep going back there to hear Rod scold us once a week so we can feel just bad enough to come back and try again. And that's what we've become to believe faith without works. I need to get my life together. I need to do a bunch of good stuff. I need to show and prove myself to God so that on that great day when I stand in that big line in heaven where the jumbotron shows my life and all the sins that I've committed in front of everybody, you know we made that up, right? Like that's not in the Bible. That when that moment happens, I'm going to be like, good. And God's going to be like, way to go. You had faith and works. Thumbs up, Rod. And that's what we think because we don't read the whole thing. Let's open up to James chapter 2 if you can, or just listen. Because let's put a little context with what James is talking about. Are you ready? My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made the distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen. My beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are you not the rich ones who oppress you and that the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? You see what James is doing here? He's saying Jesus set up a new kingdom, a new way to live where we have eyes open to the poor, the hurting, the oppressed, the pushed aside, 
Those in our, in our country or our land or our neighborhood, those who are seen as lower, do not pay more attention to the noble and demand attention from them. Instead, treat the lowly like they are the kings and queens and spend your time with them lifting them up. And James goes as far as to say, if you're doing this thing called church, but here in your mind, all you're wanting is attention from the people that matter to you, all you're wanting is, is those people to look to you and be your friends so that you can feel your ego boost inside and believe that somehow that's going to heal the wounds of your childhood. If that's what you're using this thing called church for, it's just not going to work. And he, and he slams his fist down in a strong way in verse 14 to say, what good is it if someone says they have faith but they don't have works? Can that faith save them? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of us says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for their body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. James isn't talking about you getting your act together or me. He's telling me something very, very simple. That the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God is meant to spend its time with the poor and the lowly, lifting them up. The thing that the world calls low, we who are in, interested in God's kingdom are called to spend our time and energy becoming friends with people who everyone else has counted out so that we can lift them up. And if we're not doing that and we're just seeking the noble relationships, then our faith might as well be dead. And don't get all scared by that because James isn't saying dead to God. God loves you. James is saying dead to the world. James is saying that if we're part of this thing called church, if we're part of this thing called God's kingdom moving, but we're more focused on the people who can give something to us, more than the people who we have something to give to lift, then the world is not going to recognize us as looking like Jesus at all. And so the question is, does our faith as an institution, Edison Chapel, look like our intention is to lift up the poor? And if that is true, there's a little verse in Proverbs, I forget where it is, but it says, when the just are successful, the city rejoices. When the just are successful, the city rejoices. If people fighting for the justice of the poor are successful, the city will see that that looks like Jesus and they will rejoice with us, which is why community homework showed up with flowers when Rachel moved into her home. Which is why the mayor was there. The city was rejoicing with us as we did that. But the deeper question for me every day is my faith, my life. What am I getting? And if I'm truly trying to embrace the move of God's kingdom, then my time and my energy and my resources must be spent lifting up the poor around me.
It cannot be spent trying to be seen with this person, trying to be pulled into this group, trying to be filled up in this way. It must be spent lifting up the poor, otherwise my faith will be seen as dead by everyone around me. That's what James is saying. That's not what I'm saying, okay? That's what James is saying. And the only bad part about that is it's not appealing. It's not an appealing form of the faith. It's not an appealing form of Christianity. Because what we've been taught to say is, hey guys, if you come to me, I have healing for you. And I have community for you. And I have safety for you. And I have all of these things for you. But the call of Jesus is, if you come to me, I'm going to take everything out of you and I'm going to give it away to the people who are lower than you. And that's a really, really hard, hard, hard message to hear because we don't want that, especially in this country. I didn't think I would get a lot of amens. But I will say this. Last Sunday was Reformation Sunday. Did anybody know that? It was the celebration of Martin Luther blowing up the Catholic Church. I don't know why that's a celebration, but he nailed his 95 thesis to the door. And Martin Luther was all about the grace of God. And so when the Protestant Bible was canonized, and when the council met to decide what books are we going to put in here, Martin Luther did not want to put the book of James in this Bible. He said it's too much, it's too performancy. It's too much. It doesn't actually, it doesn't talk about the things of God that I want this Bible to talk about, is basically what he was saying. But somehow the book of James made it in. And somehow we skipped over the whole chapter just to say faith without works is dead so that we could make ourselves feel terrible. All the while, James is saying this. You have faith. Jesus did die for you and rise from the dead and you will be with Him. And He's working in your life to make you whole. If you want your faith to be alive to everyone around you, there's only one way to make that happen. And that is to invest all of yourself into lifting up the poor. I preached this at a church one time, and afterwards a lady came up to me and said, I hear what you're saying, Rod, but I'm called to the poor in spirit. And I said, yes, you are. And you're also called to the poor. And the only way anyone around you will see your faith as alive is if you're lifting up those who are lower than you. To the point where they're not lower than you anymore. And now we're talking about the kingdom and equity and friendship. When I can lift someone up to the point where they're not lower than me anymore and we can look eye to eye and we can have friendships, we're talking about the kingdom of God because that's what God is up to. God is lifting people up. And God will continue to lift people up. 
And God isn't saying, I need you to lift people up or else no one's going to get lifted up. God lifts everybody up. God is lifting people up. That's what God does. And in the end, God will lift everyone up and all things will be made new. That's a promise that we have in Scripture. What James is saying is if you want to be part of that, if you want your faith to be alive, then you have to start lifting people up too. But this is North America, United States, so I do have to sell it to you in some way. Because you're like, why would we do that? What's the benefit for us? There is a benefit for you. It's that you don't need people anymore to lift you up because Jesus is under you, lifting you up, giving you power to lift up others. It's the joy of watching someone who didn't know how to find joy have joy. It's the, it's the intense jubilation that comes when someone who was in addiction realizes that they can be friends with someone who's not in addiction and that there's no difference. And they don't have to find all of their connection and friendship at a recovery meeting, but that they can find connection and friendship with someone who hasn't gone through the same thing that they have gone through. It's the grace that comes with someone who doesn't think anyone's ever going to trust them again. And you say, why wouldn't I trust you again? You're made in the image of God. It's that moment when friendship happens. When one person believes that it's not supposed to happen, and then it does. So the warning from James is, if the noble person comes into your presence, don't pay them more attention than the person in rags. Instead, lift up the person in rags and everyone around you will then know and confess what Jesus is up to. And when you are successful in that, in that kind of justice, the city will rejoice. And I am thankful to say that because of the work we are doing here at chapel, the city is rejoicing that because of the work I see some of you doing in your lives, I'm pointing at Sherry, people are rejoicing. And I could, I could just, I feel like I could go around this room to most of my friends here. I know we got some new people, but I feel like I could just be like, I see you lifting up the lowly, and I see them rejoicing. And I see that because of that, people are understanding what Jesus is up to in this world. And that's what James is saying. So my only challenge for you is if there's an angel and a devil on your shoulder, which there's not, but let's pretend. Man, if you took that away from the sermon, that would be terrible. <laughs> when that devil on your shoulder says you need validated by the noble, you say no. I need to be in the trenches with the week. 
because that's the moment we find out as the story fast forwards that Jesus looks at us and says, I was that person. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger and you let me in to a new house that I never thought I would own. So Jesus, thank you for my friends. Thank you for chapel. Thank you for the end of the week. Thank you that in the midst of our struggles at work and ladders and hierarchies and friendships and all of the anxiety that comes with life because we're all just little tiny kids in grown-up bodies still trying to survive, thank you that you've given us a new way to live. And thank you that that way is powerful. And it's so powerful that we can call it a kingdom. The kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.